How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts, live from the Expo floor, 2022. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. We're coming to you from beautiful Orlando, Florida, and we have a fantastic podcast series set up this year with some of the greatest minds in the industry. The opioid epidemic is a battle that we fight as providers on a daily basis. The amount of opioid overdose calls handled throughout the nation seems unrelenting. The use of Narcan has been a game changer in terms of drastically decreasing the number of opioid attributed deaths, but is Narcan alone truly helping the situation? Enter Suboxone. Some have heard of it, some have not, but Suboxone could be the missing link in breaking the opioid addiction in those that suffer from it greatly on a daily basis. Dr. David Miramontes is the Associate Clinical Professor of Medicine at UT Health San Antonio, as well as the Medical Director at San Antonio Fire Department. Paramedic Christopher Velasquez is the Mobile Integrated Health Manager at San Antonio Fire Department, and both are here with me today, and they are ready to discuss everything Suboxone. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having us. We really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Doc, to start, Suboxone is not widely understood or known by all providers. So if you would, could you just explain what Suboxone is? Sure. Well, so you're all familiar with methadone, which is a direct replacement of a long-acting narcotic to keep people out of withdrawals. Suboxone's a little different. What it is, it's an agonist antagonist. What does that mean? So the key goes in the lock, but it only turns it just a little bit. And so you get them out of withdrawals, you get a little bit of pain reduction, but then the lock sticks in there for a long period of time. So then what happens is no other narcotics can get in that receptor. You can't overdose. So it relieves withdrawals and it also prevents overdose if they try and use on top of it. And so it's a really safe and effective drug. What's also really cool is you virtually can't overdose on buprenorphine, otherwise known as Suboxone. So it's safe for EMS folks to do inductions in the field and even use it after the overdose because you can't overdose on buprenorphine. It's an agonist antagonist with a nice ceiling effect. And you know they're not going to overdose for 24 hours after you give the drug because the receptors are blocked with this high affinity molecule and they're feeling better and out of withdrawals. We are in a way where the opioid epidemic is, is just taking over. Everywhere we're seeing it, it's, it's so pronounced, it's, it's, it's all-encompassing. And so, as I was saying in the lead-in, we're giving Narcan and we're preventing overdose death, but are we doing anything other than that? So Narcan is one of the harm reduction techniques that we provide. So we're getting Narcan out to people who are using drugs. We get it out to friends and family. We're giving Narcan to prisoners that are leaving the institution. We're giving it as part of probation. We're giving it on, on discharge from rehab to help prevent the death if they do use Narcan or use uh, opioids. So the problem is even bigger because the cartels and those that are supplying drugs illicitly on the street are now putting fentanyl in everything. 
We had a case presentation today of a, a gentleman who did five lines of coke and did what he thought was Xanax uh, to kind of temper the effect of his cocaine, when in fact it was high-dose fentanyl. He overdosed from the fentanyl part, we reversed him, and then the cocaine went bonkers. And now he had this spontaneous, hyperdynamic process. So if you think that fentanyl or is in just opioids, the heroin, um, you're wrong. It's in everything. It's in marijuana. It's in methamphetamine. It's in cocaine. It's in everything now. So we have to do this harm reduction model. But that doesn't treat the underlying issue. So the underlying issue is this person has an opioid use disorder. Large amounts of narcotics, and especially with fentanyl use, they get really tolerant very quickly, and they have to have this med to be normal. Most people that are using drugs um, are not trying to get high anymore because they can't. They're just trying to feel normal and not in withdrawals. So what does Suboxone does, it replaces that narcotic, which has great effect keeping them out of withdrawals. It has an antidepressant effect, so they start feeling better within days of starting on suboxone therapy. And it blocks the receptor. So if they do, quote, fall off the wagon or continue to use narcotics, they're not going to overdose and die. So it's a really a great fit for these folks. Also, suboxone can be prescribed by family practice doctors, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants in the United States. Uh, if you have an X waiver, now it's even waived. Um, so it can be prescribed in any number of facilities that patients can have care in, including the ER. And you don't have to go to a methadone treatment center that's um, that's funded by the federal government and scrutinized by SAMHSA, et cetera. So we're meeting patients with lower barrier techniques to treating their drug addiction, getting them into therapy, working on some of the, the devils and the details that are using, that, that got them started using drugs in the first place. For example, mental health illness, uh, PTSD, uh, sexual assault, um, mental illness, where they're using these drugs to self-medicate to feel better. So we can flip the script, so to speak, and get them to use a safer medication instead of using heroin, fentanyl, or other drugs. So we're tying in a lot of things here, Doc. And, you know, San Antonio is always leading from the front. We always say that. We had your partner, C.J. Winkler, on here last year who was talking about the, the whole blood program. They always do some great things. And, you know, this program that you have initiated, and I'm going to pivot to Chris on this. Chris is the manager of the, the Mobile Integrated Health Program. You know, in EMS, we're so used to, Chris, going out, treating the problem, and moving on, which MIH, we brought this in because, really, it's, it's a, it's a whole-of-approach-type method. We have to see this through to truly fix the problem. Tell me about the Suboxone program that you have, or I should say the opioid, uh, uh, the opioid addiction program that you have in place in San Antonio, Chris. Yeah, so, I, you know, thank you again for having us. Um, we love talking about this topic. As you can tell, we're very uh, convicted to this, this matter and this emergent uh, problem that's in the community and, and nationwide. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we look at suboxone therapy as a holistic view uh, towards the treatment of opioid use and recovery. And, you know, with MIH, you, your, your goal is to create solutions, um, you know, fight against adversity and, and just help, you know, solve the problem. 
So, you know, we get out, we get out there in the streets and our biggest goal is to, again, it's, it's like I think MIH, patient-centered care. So what does that mean? I mean, it means the same as we would like diabetics. It's the same as we would with a heart patient. Uh, anybody had a, a chronic infection or post-op surgery, uh, we got to change that stigma to where drug addiction is, is a disease process and not a uh, life choice, if you will. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's really important, really powerful for you to say because the fact of the matter is it is a disease, right? And it's not going to go away unless we start looking at it from a pragmatic approach and saying, how can we fix this? How do we do this? How did you set this up? How, how with, with MIH, it's, it's a facet of that. It's a component of it. Now, every job that comes in that's an opioid overdose is a direct follow-up? Yeah, so good question. So the way we work it is we use First Watch. First Watch monitors the CAD notes and the patient care report notes that the paramedics are actually writing on the fly. And, and it, we, it constantly refreshes every three minutes. So we come in the morning, seven days a week. We uh, follow up 24. We, our goal is within 24 hours of that overdose to follow up with that patient. So we know we've confirmed through the, you know, through the dispatch notes, through the paramedics notes in the, in the um, patient care reporting that it is a, we confirm that it's an opioid overdose. So we go knock on the door. We have two paramedics um, in a vehicle, un- low profile vehicle, so to speak. We carry Suboxone on the trucks. We also carry Narcan. And it just depends on, on we, when we knock on the door. Most times, nine times out of 10, they're receptive to that. Sometimes that initial visit, they're not. We get a HIPAA form signed by that patient in that initial visit if they want to participate. And even if they don't want to sign anything, that's fine. We still offer the Narcan. We offer the Suboxone. We offer, we're just, we offer them options for recovery. So we don't preach to them, no judgments, you know, and we've spent a lot of time out in the field uh, creating that trust in the community. And I think, you know, uh, as the paradigm continues to shift, we, we got to get more creative um, with how we engage these patients. We're starting to see a very uh, younger population uh, with opioid addiction. Uh, the ma- average age is about 30 years old, 30 to 35 in San Antonio, but we're seeing a lot of 20-year-olds. And what I mean by, you know, engaging with these younger uh, demographic is, I mean, as, as crazy as it sounds, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, because when you talk to these folks, they tell you that there's like key words and phrases and icons they use to talk amongst each other to get supplied. And I'm not trying to interrupt their supply chain. What I'm trying to say is if they're accessing, you know, uh, social media to to obtain the drugs, well, then why can't we access social media to offer a, a recovery option? Yeah, that, that, that is actually really cool to hear. Doc, I'm going to ask you, so you have the Narcan initially, we follow up with Suboxone, but the third piece of this is a facility, right, that's going to accept this patient and see them through from a therapeutic standpoint, from a mental aspect. Talk to me about that. So. I think the term facility is loose. Um, you actually need a system of care. So we engage peer counselors from Sakata, which is their people with lived experience. They were people who used drugs in the past, and now they're peer coaches, peer counselors, help, they live that life. And so they speak that language, they have that experience, and they help that person through their journey of recovery. So you can't just treat the drug addiction, you have to treat the person. And that might involve housing, 
if you're a single mom at your boyfriend's house who uses drug every day and you want to get off drugs, you got to get out of that environment. You need a safe place where you can engage in recovery. Until you have that, going down the path of recovery is not going to work so great. So they have to have a safe place. They have to be be able to have counseling, health care. They need to be screened for HIV, hepatitis C um, infections. They need that psychological assessment or referral so that they can work on whatever's maybe got them into drugs in the first place, right? Um, a lot of these folks started out in our medical system. They, had a, they blew out a knee, they got a car accident, they got started on narcotics. Back in the day, remember, pain is the fifth vital sign. I, it was not uncommon when I was a resident to write a script for 100 Percocets after a back surgery. That was standard. And now we know that that was probably bad medicine. Um, So I think the system of care piece is important. So what can you do? You can refer them to uh, outdoor, a um, outpatient opiate use disorder clinic, a methadone clinic. Maybe it's your mental health agency that does it. Maybe it's a county hospital clinic. Uh, we have Be Well Texas, which is a telemedicine option where you can see a physician, the counselors, on your phone. And then they'll ship the meds t- directly to your house or to a P.O. box or wherever you need to get those meds. So those are all types of things we can do. You also may have an emergency room or an outpatient facility where you can transport a patient to that can start them on. And the reason why we started down this journey is that no one in San Antonio three years ago was offering these services other than the methadone clinics. No ER, no one else. And we had all these barriers to care that makes it hard for people to get into the treatment. For example, when we do an intake, what time do you have to be there in the morning, Chris? 5 a.m. 5 a.m. So if you're uh, a person that's used to getting up at noon after a, you know spending most of the night playing video games and such, 5 a.m. is a big change in your mojo. So that's a barrier. We don't have Medicaid in Texas. We don't have the Affordable Care Act. So we don't have expanded Medicaid. So a lot of these people are not insured. So we have to provide low barriers to care with a system of care. And it might be one thing for one person, another for another. Some patients, Suboxone doesn't work for them. And we have to actually get them into a federally funded methadone clinic. Talk about the results, Chris or Doc. Let me know, have you seen tangible results from this, from you implementing this program? I know Doc just said that nothing was in place three years ago. You put this in place, are you seeing good results? Well, you know, that's a good question. So result-wise, we're administering in the field, you know, on the 9-1 response, I see less administration of Narcan. Um, But that could be a very telling sign because we're also, you know, we're, administer- we're putting an Narcan out in the community, so right. is that a success? We do know with the patients that we do interview, and they do interviews like this on TV or, or with other markets, they, um, they, they do have success. And, you know, so, you know, we talk about this all the time, success is very subjective. Um, you know, I will, I will say it's like when you ask, it depends on who's asking, right? I have a very myopic view of success. If I see one person recovered, to me, the program has been successful. So when? And, you know, just to echo what Dr. Miramontes was talking about with the patient care, um, when you go to those, those patients in the follow-up visit, go with more than Suboxone. You know, you wouldn't go to a cardiac arrest with just your pin in your pocket and a clipboard, right? So don't go to their home. 
not prepared to offer other options. There's a lot of food insecurities, healthcare insecurities. They're, they're behind on their rent, they're behind on their, their water, their electricity bill. And there's a lot of social programs in the community that you can access those. My point is, have options. Don't, you know, don't be afraid to create solutions. Don't be afraid to fail. And don't be afraid to take chances. And that's the biggest thing I tell you. Don't be afraid, and no matter how big or small, because I get that a lot. Well, you're San Antonio, I've got deep pockets. No, we don't. Everything we do is grant funded. And everything we do is geared towards patient care. So you asked about what success is. So you can't help somebody in recovery if they're dead. So if we can save one person, give them the opportunity for recovery, that's a win. If we decrease their use of of narcotics to two days a week or to lower the dose, or we've kept them through a rough time in their patch with Suboxone and they relapse, but we might have another chance to get them into recovery. So success is getting someone into recovery, getting them down the path to recovery, providing them education for harm reduction, like things like, hey man, you're not shooting alone, are you? You need to do injection with a friend, so if you get overdose, they can help you with your Narcan or call 911. Hey, what are you doing about sterilizing your needles? Hey, have you been screened for HIV? Are you sharing needles? Are you doing sex for drugs, sex for money? Hey, maybe we need to get you um, hooked into um, our sexually transmitted disease clinic or HIV clinic that's free of charge with the Ryan White Act. So we, th- we need to make sure that success is making someone better, keeping them from being dead, and preventing the next infection or overdose. That's what success is. That's what harm reduction is. So the fire guys out there, okay, so you do fire prevention stuff all day long, right? You do fire inspections, you check smoke detectors, you enforce codes, you do all that stuff. Fire prevention. Well, this is harm reduction, which is prevention of death, disability, infection, and badness in people who use drugs. It's the same, only it's a little different. Well, again, uh, you know, San Antonio always leading from the front. Uh, Chris, Doc, I really want to thank you for coming on today to share this. And I really think the takeaway here is that we need to start looking at this epidemic in a different way, right? We need to start looking at it from a position of we have to see this through. We're not just there to give Narcan leave. It's not going to fix the problem. It's a Band-Aid. And so we need to do something. And the, the model that you folks have put out there is one that I'm sure will be looked at in multiple agencies from throughout the, the country. And again, I appreciate you coming on and sharing a little no, bit. No, thank you. And, and you know, we, we'd like to, you know, echo that thought with, you know, everyone needs something to believe in. Everybody needs hope. And MIH is a marathon, and, and we do get a little, you know, I say gallows humor to some regards because we're out there all the time seeing the same thing over and over. But, you know, these folks, they really, they need you to be their hope. They really do. And when you're working out there in the community and you're in a mobile integrated healthcare paramedic or community paramedic, whatever the nomenclature is, you know, take all your personal biases and judgments away. Take away all the conclusions that you've come to about yourself, life, and others because that's going to be your limiting factors to success. Hey, Chris, um, tell me a little bit about what do the firefighters think about this program? What do they think about us giving Suboxone? Well, you know, they love it. They love it, Doc. And and I didn't really expect that because, you know, we, we see this out there in the community a lot. 
But this is a different type of response. The firefighters were, are real receptive to it. We staff all of those programs with overtime. Um, and uh, we take field paramedics or basic EMTs. We let, we let everybody take, us, take a play in this, this response. And they love it. They love it because I, you know, it's just, you're, you're responding in a different manner. It's non-emergent. It can turn into be emergent, right? Um, but uh, for the most part, they, they have the, the time, the luxury of time to sit and talk to the folks, interact with them, help them find solutions to whatever issues are coming across. And I just, like I said, I gotta, you know, I can't echo this enough. You have to just engage with them and engage with them frequently, engage with them often. And even if they, you know, the patient, they, they may have relapses, but that's okay. They just, you know, they need to get a taste of, recovery, even if it's for a week or two, and then they get back on and they'll call you again and just make sure that that door is always open. They like it because it's rewarding and they're helping others and that's why we signed up for it. Absolutely. Dr. Miramontes, Chris Velasquez, thank you so much for joining us and sharing this information. As I said, it really is. It's leaning from the front. It's being, you know, out there doing something rather than just, you know, standing on your laurels thinking you're gonna change something that we've always done it that way. So, gentlemen, thanks again for joining me. And thanks for listening to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. We will be back with you with more great episodes from the Expo floor. So stay tuned and we'll talk real soon. I'm Mike McCabe. Take care. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 